Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I want to read into your hearing just verse 17 and 18 of Daniel chapter 3, and we'll make our way through chapter 3 together. It reads this way. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, you may be seated. During the mid-1950s and 60s, a dynamic leader rose to prominence in American society. His eloquence in speech and stalwart commitment to nonviolence kind of Uh, captivated eventually the heart of America. And while some loved him, others could not stand him. Others uh, wanted him to slow down. He was a polarizing figure, to say the least. One of the reasons why he was uh, hated, in my view, was not because of his eloquence or his commitment to nonviolence, but rather I I think that they hated the method for promoting change. Uh, If you haven't already figured it out yet, I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, You see, uh, for King, at the core of his leadership was a commitment to what is known as civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. Uh, It's the idea that whenever there is a law that is unjust, one has a moral obligation to stand up against it. If there is a law that goes against conscience or the law of God, then one must stand up against it rather than bow down to it, regardless of what it may cost you. And at the foundation of this ideology of civil disobedience, uh, it seems as though Martin Luther King Jr. found the blueprint for what his methodology was from an ancient book in the Old Testament. You see, for Martin Luther King Jr., Uh, He was not the originator of the idea of civil disobedience. Uh, Rather, there is this Old Testament scripture and portion of passage that comes from Daniel chapter 3, where Martin Luther King and his uh, idea of nonviolence permeated with this concept and ideology of civil disobedience. It actually was rooted in the word of God before Martin Luther King ever said anything about civil disobedience. And what we're going to learn from Daniel this morning is that there are many ways in which we have the opportunity to bow to what society has to say or to stand for what is right. Uh, we, we have the opportunity to, to practice this concept of civil disobedience. And so this morning, I want to preach from that subject. I want to look at two particular things. 
uh, this morning. First, we're going to look at how we bow, and second, we're going to look at how we stand. I want to preach from that topic this morning, civil disobedience. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together, to sing to you, God, to worship you, even for the opportunity to give back in response to your generosity towards us. And now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, it's important to understand the context from which we parachute uh, into our particular text. And uh, this particular section of scripture happens around the year 600 B.C., Uh, in a land called Babylon. Now, we talked a little bit last week about Elijah, and we talked about the 200 years of all of these bad, uh, terrible, evil kings. And so uh, the the timeline of events here is that those kings keep being bad, and eventually God sends this king named Nebuchadnezzar to ransack the nation of Israel. And so now uh, these people have been taken captive. The Israelites have been taken captive uh, to this place called Babylon. And so uh, that's where they are in our particular passage. And then uh, in chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5, we're introduced to the characters uh, of the context of our passage. And the words will come up on the screen. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that Uh, the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so, in essence, uh, what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Judah, the the nation of Israel, and takes these people captive, uh, and then he sets up a kind of apprenticeship system or apprenticeship program where for three years they learn the ways of the Chaldeans, and they take sort of the best of the Israelites and say, we're going to figure out how to use them within the kingdom. Um, And so we're introduced to the four characters that were a part of this apprenticeship, and their names are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Now, we're going to have to go to the classroom for just a moment, and I know I just said some weird names. uh, And so uh, hang on there. Go with me, somebody. Uh, I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood in just a second. But this is what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're incredibly smart. They're gifted by God. And Daniel has the ability to interpret and understand visions and dreams. And so eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. 
um, and he is so baffled by this dream. He keeps having it over and over and over again, and uh, and so he calls for all the wise people of uh, of his uh, of his nation and threatens basically to kill all of them if they can't interpret this dream. And so Daniel steps up and says, "Tell me the dream," uh, and and he says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want y'all to pray that God would give me the interpretation of this dream. And so that's exactly what happens. They pray, God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream, and then Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and and he reveals the meaning of that dream. And so the Bible says uh, that uh, essentially King Nebuchadnezzar was so... Uh, so thrilled with the fact that Daniel and, and, and was was able to interpret this dream that he then placed Daniel over the king's court and then he placed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, over the province of Babylon. So all of a sudden, not only are they apprentices now and, and not only are they singing, serving for the king, but they have been, uh, they have been promoted into these upper echelon positions uh, and then all of a sudden, this is where the text takes a turn uh, in chapter 3 and verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose weight or height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura uh, in, the, in the province of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar calls uh, for all of the professional classes of the province to come and to worship this golden image. And, uh, and one of the things that you have to understand is that uh, Babylon in the ancient world was, was a pluralistic society. So they worshiped all types of different gods within this pluralistic society. And now King Nebuchadnezzar has created this image uh, that evidently is a part of like a multiplicity of beliefs. And he's calling for everybody everywhere to bow down and worship this image. And so he calls for a kind of worship service and calls for all the musicians to sing worship songs. And uh, everywhere, everybody everywhere was expected to worship this golden image. Uh, and it's as though Nebuchadnezzar is saying, it, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. I know we live in a pluralistic society. I, I know there's a multiplicity of beliefs, but it's fine for you to worship your God in private but in public, you have to bow down to the golden image. Y'all want to worship Yahweh on your time? That's fine. That's cool in the game. But out here, you worship the golden image. And that's what happens in, 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 a, in a pluralistic society. You, you want to come to church on Sunday? No problem. But don't bring that Jesus stuff up in here, up in here. Keep that to yourself. What you believe is private. And so this is what happens in Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. That's, they got every instrument that you can name under the sun is here for this worship service. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery, uh, burning fiery furnace. So the first commandment that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know about is you shall have no other gods besides me. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this, this is like foundational to, to their faith, uh, sort of at, 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 its, at, its, at its like foundational levels. This is something that they can't do. And so they practice what Martin Luther King practiced. They practice civil disobedience. Evidently, there were so many people that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow. But there's other people there who, who find out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And they go to the king and, uh, and they tell the king what happened. And the king is hot, right? No, no pun intended. The king... Uh, the king is furious, so he sets up another worship service and, and says, essentially, I'm going to give you another shot at this thing. If you don't bow down, I will throw you into this fiery furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do the same thing. They say, we will not bow. And I love what Tim Keller says about he's a pastor up in New York City. He says, all great pluralistic societies say you can privately worship the way you want. But in public culture, you've got to be like everybody else. In private, you can to each his own. But in public, you got to get with everybody else. And oftentimes, I think we find ourselves bowing down to what society says when we really ought to be standing up. And, and, and here's the thing, because there, there's sort of a, 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 a subculture within Christianity um, that takes uh, really complex issues uh, and oversimplifies them and, and says, we're standing for truth. Right? Right? We're standing for, and this is, and this is what this is what God tells us to do, and we're standing on what God tells us to do, right? And and, and they justify, uh, they justify their actions of being a jerk because because they're standing up for truth. And the thing that you have to understand is that's not what that's not what God is calling. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do. They're not being jerks or self-righteous or mean or othering people or saying, get with what we got going on so that, so that we can honor God together, even though you're not a follower of Jesus. They don't do that. They just said, we're not going to bow. And here's the, here's the interesting thing in our, in our culture and society, I think, and this is just a caveat before I get down to how we bow, um, but but one of the things that, that I think that we feel forced into uh, is, is the idea uh, that, that we can stand up or we're, we're so not ready to stand up for truth that we can stand up and be jerks. And here's the thing that you have to understand. Christians, if we're known for anything, if we're known for anything, we're the compassion people. If we should be known for anything, we're the love people. It's, it's interesting to me, Barna did, did some research on this, and, and I, I, I interacted with this thing for this radio show this, this, uh, earlier this week. Um, and it said the number one thing that non-Christians think about Christians, uh, it's that they're awfully loud about the things that they're against. 
we know them more about the things that they're against than the things that they're for. And yet within that, so there's that subculture of, of focus and thought, and then there's this, this other space that you and I find ourselves in the midst of, of what we deem to be the power of society, we find ourselves bowing down. And you say, Steve, I don't, ain't no golden image for me to bow down to. Ain't no, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no multiplicity of, of golden images that I uh, am, am, am bowing down to. And, uh, and yet I think that if we were, to, uh, we were to talk about the experience of the work environment that you come from, uh, and you 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 get uh, into the conversations at, at work with your colleagues and uh, and you know I hate this boss and I hate this place and I hate this and 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 this person does that and, and it's it's this whole negative culture right this whole negative conversation that's happening and and, and the natural inclination of your heart is like. Where do I fit in at? I, I got to find my place to fit in, in in this conversation or 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 when it comes to slandering people or talking down about people or uh, and because everybody else is doing it. That's the culture of the workplace. We find ourselves bowing down. This is this is just what's this is just what's what's natural. I, I talked to some of my friends and they tell me, Steve, it's hard out here on these apps. It's hard out here on these apps. We go on these dating apps. And even on the Christian dating app, there's this expectation that hookup culture is the way of doing something. And I, and I really, I, I want to I I find somebody, Steve. I want to meet somebody. And, uh, and so because hookup culture, there's like an expectation that two, three dates in, like this thing's got to go down, right? And uh, And... And because that's what the culture says, we, we acquiesce, we, we bow down. I, I remember when I was, uh, I used to sell shoes at, at, uh, at Nordstrom, and I kind of worked my way up. Like, I, the only sh job I know is selling shoes, right? Outside, like, I'm like, I don't know what y'all do. I sell shoes. That's all I know. Um, and, and so I worked at Finish Line when I was 16, and then I worked at, uh, at Dick's Sporting Goods when, when I was 17, and then I worked at the walking company, and then I worked at Stride Right, and then I worked for Nordstrom. So I, like, worked my way up the Ed Bundy list, right? Al Bundy, sorry. I worked my way up the list, and, and I, you know, they say uh, confession uh, is good for the soul and bad for your reputation. And so I have, I have a proclivity towards nice shoes. I have a, I have a proclivity uh, towards nice shoes, and I blame it on uh, on the environment that I was raised in because of that experience. And uh, and so, anyways, I I was at uh, this job. I worked my entire senior year of college, and and then the year after college, I was there, and I had built an, I was I was not a good salesman. I just I'd like to talk to the co -work, my coworkers and and other things. I was like right in the middle range where the boss can't say nothing to you. Um, but I wasn't any good at it, um, and so uh, one of my one of my colleagues comes to me, and they say, "Steve, listen, man, we know uh, we know that you're a Christian, and uh, we think that you should start a Bible study in the break room." And I was like, "Wow, y'all want me to start a you want me to start a Bible study in the break room? Like this is like what." You know, this is this is like the the layup, right? This is like the the here's the alley oop." 
right? Um, and and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. Another week would pass, and they said, well, Steve. You, you should start a Bible study, man. When are you going to start the Bible study in the break room? We've been asking you about the Bible study in the break room. And I said, uh, I don't know about that. Another week would pass. Man, we, no, we really think like maybe like lunch hour-ish. And even if it's like, you know, every other week kind of thing, like you could, you could do something. And another week would pass. And another week would pass. And guess what? I never started the Bible study in the break room. You know why? Because I was too afraid that if I lived my faith out that publicly, people would not like me. If I live my faith that that publicly things would change in the relationships with the people that I had and so I bowed down and it's interesting I was I was interacting with with um, with this Barner research this this uh, group does this research and they do a it's kind of like this big qualitative uh, thing where they they interact and interview with people um, and they were interviewing non-christians about the seven things that they uh, they think about Christians um, number one was they they care a lot about the things that they're against more than the things that they're for but within the top seven was I'd like to make friends with a Christian to learn what they believe I'd like to learn about the Bible I've really been fascinated by the Bible, but nobody's ever, I've never had the opportunity to, to study the Bible. I, I wish I could learn uh, how to be a better parent, husband, wife. I, I've got this neighbor there, a Christian, and they really seem to have a good relationship with their kids and their, their wife. And, and, and I, wish, I wish I could learn how to be a better parent. Uh, number seven, I wish somebody would invite me to church. I've never been to a church. Four out of the seven was I wish basically somebody would talk to me about their faith. And because we feel this pressure that isn't oftentimes even real, we bow down. We bow down. Somebody, man, you, you know what, you go home for Thanksgiving, and a few years ago uh, in Charlottesville, there was a whole group of white supremacists that, that, that came through Charlottesville, and they, they literally ran a woman over, right, and, and died. And, and I know about what my uncle and my grandmother and my mom and dad think about, uh, about Muslim terrorists. But I ain't going to bring up no white supremacists, right? Because it, it'll, it'll throw off the peace. It'll, it'll rub people the wrong way, Right? I'm, I'm still willing to listen uh, to Uncle say that racist comment every Thanksgiving, and I ain't going to say nothing because I just want to keep the peace. 
you've bowed down. That's not what flies in this social sphere. So I just, I just won't say anything about it. If you grew up like me, there are certain things that you weren't able to have as a child. There were certain places that you weren't able to go. Uh, there, there, were, uh, there were certain things that you weren't able to buy. And sometimes when you grow up and you leave poverty, you look at what other people had and you say to yourself, those are the symbols of success. And because of the symbols of success, that's what everybody else says is cool. That's what everybody else wants. That, that's what, that's what the, the influencers are on Instagram and, and all of that. Like that's the, when you're re, you really made it when you did that. You really made it when you got the Gucci bag. You, you really made it. You don't even like nothing Balenciaga ever made. You don't like nothing Gucci ever made. Because somebody else says it's important because we fall in love with the symbols of success more than success itself. And that's, it. that's, it. that's my confession is that I struggle with that. What they say is cool. What they say is what, what this, this, this thing that I have says something about me. It is a meaning maker. Because that's what everybody else says. And so we, we bow down. There's a whole lot of people. I'm, I'm really intrigued by like the, the way social media is affecting how we view ourselves and and how we view the world, and w one of the things that I can't get past, and and sometimes it kind of it kind of makes me chuckle, and yet at the same time, like if you if you're scrolling through or TikToking or whatever, oftentimes there'll be people who are social media influencers, and you're like, man, I need to get my life like that. That's the way really to 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 be doing it the right way. And, and sometimes, you know, and, and I, I can see it for somebody else way better than I can see it for myself. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of things that where I'm influenced, but, but even in, in, my own, uh, in my own household, you know, I feel like there's all these moms that get on social media and talk about all the things and how they do it and what they think about and, and, and my life is perfect and this, that, and the other. And then on the other side, it's like, man, I need to, I need to, Maybe that's the way that I need, I need to get on this vegan thing. I need to, I need to ketosis. Or, you know, I get on ketosis and vegan stuff all the time, but uh, I don't know. Whatever it is, the way that they're doing something, that's really, really the good life. And I, I was reminded the other day, one of my friends called me, and I was, I was looking at one of my friends. 
uh, that I grew up with in high school. And, and he, sh- he said, I saw his family and stuff like that. He had a picture of, of his children and uh, with, with his, uh, the children's mom and stuff. I said, man, that's cool. He looks like he's doing really well. My friend called me. He said, man, just, he, he, they, said, uh, they said, man, you know he got 30 years. I said, what you mean he got 30, he got 30 years? He's in jail. Yeah, them pictures are old. And so often what happens is we look at the image of something and and we participate in it too, right? Like the reality is you ain't posting nothing that ain't great on social media, right? This is the picture I really like of myself, right? That's na- and that's natural. But what happens is, is we look at what's popular or, or we look at, at what is, is shown as an image and fail to realize that this is just an image. And then we try to think to ourselves, maybe I'm not living this thing the right way because they seem to really have this thing together and have it figured out. And what you miss is actually, it was always just smoke and mirrors. It was always the fire festival. Y'all, fam- y'all familiar with the fire festival? This ain't in the manuscript. I just, it just came to me. <laughs> a few years ago, there was this big uh, event that wanted to be like Coachella or like Lollapalooza, but it was, it was going to be all these different things uh, where, where it was going to be at a, it's, it's going to be even more exclusive than those things. And they, they were going to, it was going to be at a, like a, uh, a beautiful island resort type thing. And, uh, and they had, for all the marketing that they put on social media, there was like supermodels and stuff involved. And there were celebrities that, that were promoting it, right? And, uh, and they were saying all the, the cool amenities that they were going to have and, um, and, and this, that, and the other. And, and so it's like sold out like, like, like crazy, right? Everybody was like, I got to get to this fire festival and, and come to find out the guy who was throwing the fire festival... Like he he literally he literally set up like tents for people to stay in. They were, matter of fact, I think they were like FEMA FEMA tents or something like that. And and they didn't have enough food at at the resort. There was only like two restaurants on the island, and they didn't have enough food to feed people. They didn't have enough water for people, and so they get uh, they get to the festival. And realize it's like their worst nightmare, right? And you can't get in and out of, off the island, but but by an airplane. And so there's there's no way there's no way to get in and out. And so they're all just stuck in tents with no food or water. And sometimes I think that. There's a lot of stuff that the world says, like, this is how you should do it. This is, this is, man, this is the good life. It is, this is where, where it is. Like, work 80 hours a week, get your grind on, and that, man, once you get over those 80 hours and you get the, the, the benefit, and then, then y'all gonna be able to go on vacation, and that's, that's the good life. And I only sleep four hours uh, a, a night because I'm grinding. I'm, I'm working, you know, this, that, and the other, and, and, and this is how I'm living my life, and they got the great image, and, and, you know, in their fitness outfit and, and all of that. And you're like, man, they really. And then on the other end, if you were to really look at their lives, it's the fire festival. 
And so sometimes we bow down to the fire festivals of life when really we ought to be standing. Somebody else out there, they've, they've got it. Because clearly I don't got it figured out. And the thing, the thing that we miss is that society, culture is always trying to press us into these fire festivals. And we jump from fire festival to fire festival. And, and, and this is the thing that I think, this, 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 is, this is the interesting thing about our passage here. Because sometimes you can worship God for what he can do for you. Sometimes you can worship God because of the blessings that he can give you. Sometimes you can worship God with the expectation that on the other side of me serving and living for God, he's going to do something for me. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in response to the king. Verses 17 and 18. If this be so, you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace. If this be so... Our God whom we serve is able, says God is able, to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, we will not bow. It's some good stuff in life. We know there's some blessings in life that God and we believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He's able to do a miracle. He is, he is able, uh, he is able to, to, to heal my body. He, he is able to make a way out of no way. He, he is able, when my back was against the wall, uh, uh, to, to do something that I never saw as a possibility of something that could be done, right? He's, he's able, and some of us have experienced the ability of God and the deliverance of God, and yet the thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said he's able but even if he's not, even if he doesn't deliver us, even if he doesn't perform a miracle, even, even if he doesn't make a way out of no way, even if we burn up in this fiery furnace, we will not bow. And I just, I just got to hang out here for just a moment because I, I really do believe uh, that there, there, are, there are things that we go through in life that, that, that will reveal whether or not we, we believe and trust God based on the things that he give us, gives us or does for us or just on the basis of who he is. Ooh. Thanks, Doc. I don't worship God just because he can perform miracles. I don't worship God just because he can do the impossible. But I just believe there's, God is looking for some people that say, I believe he's able and I believe he will deliver us. But if not, I still won't bow. I believe he has the power to perform a miracle. I, I believe that he's able to make a way out. I, I believe that I, I might feel like I'm drowning right now and, and I need God to show up in my life. But if not, 
I still won't acquiesce. I still won't go with the flow. I still won't bow. So here's the question. Why do we bow? Why, when we feel the pressures of society, why do we say, well, I'm just going to go with the flow? It's because we're afraid it'll cost us something. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would never say this. But we believe that society has more power than God. You'd never say that with your mouth. You just feel that way. Because you feel it. You, you, feel, you feel the pressure at work. You feel the, uh, you feel, feel the sense of, of man, if th- this is not going to go well for me. And fundamentally, what, what we're saying is that maybe society has more power than God. Or we don't we, we bow down because we don't want to be an outsider. We we don't want to be the person who who is not a part of the group. And and here's the thing that I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood, and this is what allowed them to be able to stand, is that they understood that it was God who gave them the talents and the abilities and the skills and the the training and uh, the gifting, and even it was God that allowed them to get into that school, and it was God uh, who promoted them. It was God who who gave them the the gifting and the skill to do what they do, and uh, even if it was that they got into that school and met that mentor met that trainer met uh met that professor and and now on the other side of all of those different things now they are where they are in, in an incredibly successful place they understand that it is god who made that happen understood not only was it god that made that happen but no matter how powerful king nebuchadnezzar seemed to be they knew that god was still in control Nebuchadnezzar's power could not compare to the power of God. They, they understood that my boss or, or the culture of, of what's expected at work or in my public sphere is nothing compared to the power of God. And that, that feeling is, is real, right? When, when we're at work and it seems as though nobody is a follower of Jesus and, and, and therefore everybody is going to hate us or, uh, or, or feel like we're imposing uh, uh, our will on theirs and, and, and it makes uh, me want to, sort of turn in on myself and privatize my faith. And yet they understood that God is more powerful than anything society says, anything that culture says. And here's the last thing they made up in their mind that no matter what, we're going to obey God. God is able to deliver us. But if not, We cannot obey man's law over God's. It is civil disobedience. So 
That's what they tell Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is furious with their response. He orders that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be thrown into this fiery furnace, and the Bible says that they ordered the furnace to be heated seven times uh, what it normally was. And so they bound uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up, uh, and, and the furnace was so hot that the Bible says that the soldiers who were commanded to throw them into the furnace were literally killed as they were throwing them into the furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only, uh, not only are they not killed when they go into the furnace, but they're bound as they're in this fiery furnace and something unthinkable happens. Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, uh, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, this is incredible, right? The, the, men, uh, the men who threw them in there uh, burned to death. But now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were bound aren't burning up and they're walking around in the midst of the fire. But wait, there's a fourth person in the fire walking around, and Nebuchadnezzar says he looks like a son of the gods. Wait, what? So who is this fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Nebuchadnezzar calls him God's angel in verse 28, and there are other times uh, when angels show up in the Old Testament, but there is always uh, a distinction made between the angel and what the Bible calls the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord speaks with the authority of, of God. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament speaks as though they are God. So who exactly is the man walking around in the fiery furnace who looks like a son of the gods? I believe it's the son of God. Uh, it is the pre-incarnate Christ that before Jesus came to earth, there were times in the older portions of the scripture when Jesus shows up, where Jesus comes into the fiery furnace with Daniel, uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I realize that that may have just blown somebody's mind, but you see throughout the scripture, fire is used as an image for trials and suffering and, uh, and pain and, uh, and, and, and all these different things that, that are intended to hurt people. And the picture that we see in Daniel chapter 3 is the picture of what Jesus promises for his followers whenever they go through trials and whenever they go through suffering and whenever they go through persecution when you stand up for God regardless of what it may cost you the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is with you in the middle of the fire I wish I had a few folk who could testify and bear witness that I know uh, I've been in some furnaces in my life I've been through some things in my life and every time I went through something there was a fourth person in the fire who was there with me. I didn't think I was going to make it on this side of life, but I'm still standing. I'm still breathing. I still got strength in my body. And the only reason why I'm still here is because there was a fourth man who was in the fire and he walked around and looked like a son of the gods. I wish I had a few folk who could say, I know Jesus is in the fire with me. I know he'll make a way out of no way. And yet still, even if he does, I will not bow. You see, 
When you and I find ourselves in the middle of the fiery furnaces of life, there, there is always a fourth person in the fire who looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar called out for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the furnace. And, and when they did, nothing happened to them. They didn't even smell like smoke, the Bible says. And ironically, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do, bow to the image and worship the image, Nebuchadnezzar now does for God. And he says at the end of Daniel chapter 3, no God is able to rescue like this. No God is able to rescue like this. Chapter 3 and verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, because Jesus uh, did not bow down to the religious leaders and accusers of his day, but lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't uh, live and ultimately went to the cross, he now empowers and enables us to stand up for what is right, regardless of what it may cost us. Because Jesus went to the cross, it means the greatest powers in our lives have been defeated and, and we've been connected to the one who will fight for us. If God be for us, he's more than the whole world against us. You see, because Jesus went to the cross, it, it, it means that, that it should have cost me something, but it, it cost him on the cross. It, it means that because Jesus did not care what it would cost at the cross, he now empowers and enables us to trust him regardless of what it may cost us. Because Jesus did not care what others thought about him, but was counted as a criminal for your sake and mine. He now empowers and enables us to do the same for his glory and our good. We were bound in our sin and shame. But because Jesus got into the fiery furnace, he now sets us free. And although we walk through the fiery furnaces of life, ultimately we will not be burned up by the trial, but because of the cross we'll live forever. Because Jesus went through the furnace of the cross, we can rest assured that he's with us in the midst of the fiery trials of life. And we can stand up for what is right, even when it may cost us something. And we can practice civil disobedience. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. I thank you, God, that that promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us because of what you accomplished on the cross That even when we feel alone, that we would know that we're not alone. God, that even when we feel like other things are powerful, that we would know that you have all power. And so, Father, I pray that when we feel the push and we feel the burden of what the work culture looks like or the way that our family expects us to be or I pray that we wouldn't be a jerk. We wouldn't be self-righteous. I pray that we would be gracious people who are unwilling to bow because we're so committed to obeying you that even if you don't perform a miracle, 
we won't bow because we don't worship you for what you can do. We worship you because of who you are. And so we thank you for that today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.